This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Joined like I am every Sunday during the college football season by Kevin Flaherty. Kevin and I were both at Memorial Stadium on Saturday for KU's 38-31 to loss to TCU. We're going to break it all down, including some college game day thoughts. But, Kevin, I know you're, you're doing this hurt. You're a little banged up. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, how's the weekend been for you? You know, it, it hasn't been too bad. It, it was such a great experience. I know we'll, we'll talk about it and everything, but it was, it was just kind of surreal – uh, we we parked in the Robinson parking lot and then walked up and, and you know when you sort of crest the hill by the Campanile and then you see all of that below you you know all of the fans the setup and, and everything it, it was pretty surreal because I mean we were there at, at I think seven fifteen seven thirty in the morning already a really big crowd you you have all the game day stuff and, and then the game you know which again we'll talk about. Uh, kind of misstepped a little bit leaving Memorial Stadium. We'll mm-hmm. we'll get a, a diagnosis, I guess, later. But uh but I'll uh I'll just say for this moment I, I'm day to day as so many of us are. How are you doing, Michael? I, I am also day to day. I need a day <laughs> off. It's been a crazy week. But let's start with talking about college game day because you you use the word surreal. And I think for me personally, like I really couldn't think about it until I was kind of walking to my car after the game. I think as you know, being a reporter and everything, right? You get there and you got to work and you don't really get the chance to like take a step back and think about it. But, you know, in hindsight, to have the the eyes of the college football world on Lawrence, Kansas and on the Hill um, was surreal and it was really cool. And I thought what you said about the crowd was interesting because, you know, I got there probably around a little bit before you, maybe at seven. Yeah. And I looked at the crowd, I'm like, okay. That's good. Yep. I'm like, it's not not what I maybe thought, but then I kind of considered, wait a second here. Like people know what time the show starts. They're going to get here when the show starts. And I was like, by the time nine o'clock came, I was blown away, blown yep. away. It was, it, it was impressive. It literally 
they covered the stage going back right up the hill but then also to the side there was this whole other pot of people that were standing there yep. and you know there were a few national media members there at the game and i had a couple people i kind of wanted to gauge their opinion on it i had a couple people tell me that that is one of the best game days in terms of fan support fans showing out that they've seen and that was just really cool. And then, you know, for me, pregame, I go down to the sideline, shoot some recruiting stuff, chat with people. And even from the sideline, it looked even cooler because you're looking up the hill at the Campanile and all of a sudden all you see is just a wave of people and just a sea of people. And that's all you see. And it was just such a cool, a cool deal and, and kind of crazy that we're in year two of Lance Leipold's tenure and, and this sort of thing has already happened. Yeah, I think something I'm going to be really interested to read is – sort of BJ Kennedy's thoughts, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I was at the season opener, you know, it, um, against Tennessee Tech and, and saw the atmosphere that was there. Good turnout, you know, 36,000 fans or whatever, 34, 36, wasn't it? Something it was right there, around yeah. That. Yeah. Um, and so he was there for that. This is, I think, his third game this season that mm -hmm. he's been to. But, you know, to see a, a full house the second time he went, and then the third time he went, not only do you have the full house, but you have all of this pregame atmosphere and everything with, with all the fans there. It, it would be very weird to sort of see all of that in real time, right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people aren't getting to go to, to every game or, or even multiple games. And so maybe that was the first time they went this year. Or, you know, maybe they went to the Duke game where it was also sold out and, and then went to game day. And, and sort of he's seen it in all three phases. But yeah, I, I think you're right though. When we came over at seven 15, I, I think we were like, man, like this is a solid sized crowd. Like it, it's not bad. And yeah. you know, it, it was there. And, and I think somebody was in my Twitter mentions and said, you know, I expected a bigger crowd. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's still 45 minutes, you know, 30 minutes, whatever until the show starts. And I remember looking back at, and specifically, Michael, I went to a tailgate and then I came back. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, the, the hill was flooded. I mean, there were so many people. And, and I, I was telling my dad who went in and kept calling it uh, sort of a once in a lifetime experience. And, and my dad went to Kansas and, and, you know, grew up going to Kansas games and everything. But I think that, you know, looking at it, one of the things that I had said was, we visited my wife's sister down in New Mexico. And I realize this sounds like it's way off on a tangent, but I promise you I'll get there. Um, and you see the scenery out there, right? Like all the hills and the mountains and the rocks and stuff. And you take a picture and it doesn't really do it justice because mm. it, the picture comes out flat. So it looks like you're just looking at something flat and you don't get the texture of it. Michael, I probably took, you know... 20, 25, 30 pictures of mm -hmm. what was going on on Saturday. And I would pull the camera phone down and I would realize it didn't do it justice because you didn't see the layering of fans. You know, it just looked like sort of one big, you know, thing and you didn't really get the whole experience, but it was, it was an unbelievable turnout. I thought the atmosphere was great. Um, and, and then, you know, just the way that they were engaged in everything throughout I had been to um, to College Game Day a few times before, once in 2007 when Kansas technically hosted, but it was at Arrowhead against, mm. uh, against Missouri, and that was nothing like this. And when I covered Texas, 
I believe I covered it um, when College Game Day was at Red River, which is, you know, at the Texas State Fair outside of the Cotton Bowl. Not anything like this because you had the splitting of fan bases. This was, you know, 95% KU fans. There were a few opposing fans who snuck in and and gave different signs and and whatever else. And, And TCU fans, I thought, had a really nice turnout too. But to see all of that, and no, we've been to Memorial Stadium where they've announced the attendance figure and we've rolled our eyes because we've said there's no way there are that many people at the stadium. And you could tell me just about any figure for how many fans were out there on the field. And I would say, really, it, it felt like more. It, mm. it was it was that many people. Yeah, I agree. And there are so many people that went to game day. And then as you see people flooding towards the stadium, as I kind of go up to the press box for kickoff, yeah. you see a ton of people flooding back to the parking lots, back up to where mm-hmm. campus is. And I think that was maybe the cool part is that there were probably more people at game day, you know, that – or there were a good chunk of people at game day that didn't even go to the game. And yeah. yet the game was still sold out. And I think that probably speaks to the interest in Kansas football, the interest in something like game day, where I think everyone – regardless of how much you follow college football, you've watched game day once, twice in your right. lifetime. And that was really cool. And to me, I thought it was really well done. I was worried <laughs> it being an 11 a.m. kick. Sure. The show ending at 11. Grant, they brought it in for the final 20, 30 minutes, whatever. But I was worried that, okay, is the atmosphere at kick going to be the same as it was for Iowa State or Duke? And it was. And I think it's a credit to you fans, right, for understanding, right, well, it's time to head in. You know, I got it recorded. I'm sure everyone recorded it, and they'll go back and watch (laughs) it. You know, I've I've carved out some time on Monday that I'll go back and and watch the show again. I haven't had the chance to yet. But I thought it was really cool. And then, obviously, the game kicks off, and the atmosphere was incredible. And the start of the game was interesting, I thought, because TCU came out of the blocks – coming out and and pushing the pace and they were going up tempo. And I thought when I saw that, I was worried because we've talked about the depth for KU's defense a lot this season and how much they're subbing in and out, right? They're playing 20 plus guys on defense. And as soon as they went up tempo, I kind of worried like, Oh no, like is KU going to be able to substitute and and do that? And of course TCU comes out and um, scores 10 quick points. And you're kind of thinking, all right, this is kind of like that, Houston, West Virginia game where KU's going to need to respond. And it took a little while. But for you, what was like, what were, what were the first few minutes of the game like? Because obviously the atmosphere was great, but, you know, I kind of worried that, uh oh, is KU going to be in this game for the long haul just based on the way that kind of game started? Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing you didn't want, it, obviously you didn't want Kansas to lose if you're looking at it as from a Kansas fan's perspective. But you really didn't want it to be a fiasco. You no. didn't want it to be – we keep bringing up on the show 2019 Kansas State, and I think we bring it up for a good reason in that they came back home. You had this level of fan interest. People were intrigued, right? They they weren't necessarily bought in, but they were intrigued, and they were saying, okay, you know, let's, let's see what we can see. And they weren't ever in the game and the fan interest kind of died down. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody would have quit on the team or anything like that, because obviously the, the five and oh start, but you really wanted them to compete. And I think the one fear that I had looking at it from a Kansas standpoint was I didn't feel like Kansas matched up on the outside 
at all with, with TCU's guys. And, and obviously, Quentin Johnston had a huge game, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that. But for the most part, other than Quentin Johnston, you know, Kansas got some, you know, the first half defensively, they played well. That first drive, TCU went right down the field like butter, and I think most of us felt like, oh, my gosh, here – here it goes, but they kind of buckle down. They get the the stop for a field goal, and, and and even over the course of the game, even once TCU kind of found its footing, Kansas's defense made some opportunistic stops. And, and something that I wanted to ask you about: Did you like the way that Kansas shuttled its defensive linemen through? Like every time TCU made a sub, Kansas subbed in a full package of fresh defensive linemen. I thought that was a really interesting approach. What, what did you think about, you know, sort of how they tried to keep those guys fresh? I loved it because it was funny. I was for the game during the week. I, I had kind of heard from some people in the building that, Hey, like there's some serious concern that TCU might just go over the top yep. and just go and have explosive play after explosive play. And I thought it was a very creative way. We talk a lot about offensively, right? Controlling the clock and controlling the pace of the game with your offense, right? Running the ball, play action. KU did that with its defensive line subbing, where TCU would try and sub in a new personnel package. And then as soon as they did that, you're right. KU would, you know, who, who's on the sideline? Uh, Panagos. Yeah, Jim Panagos is on the sideline. He like, you see him wave and, you know, four guys run in. And then all of a sudden four guys are coming out and they're like not sprinting, right? They're kind of like jogging. Yeah. Home, that, the Aaron Judge home run trot. Yeah, exactly. That's there. what yeah. I mean. Yeah, enough of the Aaron Judge stuff. Um, <laughs> cut in real quick. <laughs> yeah, I need to cut in right now of Aaron Judge. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was fascinating. And it's a great way to slow down an explosive offense and not let them find a rhythm. And it also lets guys like Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson catch their breath because yeah. guys like that are having to go cover, you know, 30 yards down the field almost every play. And so I thought it was super smart and a really great way to control the pace of the game, especially in the first half. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there were some situations, like really specific situations where, say, they'd some sub somebody off and you'd say something like, I'd really like to have Lonnie Phelps out here, mm-hmm. and Lonnie Phelps subbed off. Yeah. But over the course of an entire game, I thought that really helped them. And when you look at – at where they were at late and giving themselves a, a chance to come back, they did make a couple stops, you know, in the, the third quarter, the fourth quarter, when they had to have them. And, and I felt like keeping those guys fresh, even if maybe it did lead to some situations where, hey, it's it's third and eight and your best pass rusher isn't on the field, I thought it was a positive in the aggregate. And, and I really yeah. do think that it was – it was a good solution, and honestly, Michael, I think we'll see it again this week with Oklahoma, who also enjoys running tempo, and I think they'd be wise to continue that. And I think the other thing, it was smart for Kansas to do, but I think the other thing about it is I'm not sure Kansas could have done this a few years ago in terms of having guys that you could sub in and actually feel like, okay, I don't feel bad about that guy being out here on a mm-hmm. big third and eight. I, I think that that speaks to the depth that not only they've been able to get through transfers, et cetera, but that they've been able to develop and, and coach some of those guys up as well. Yeah, they couldn't have done this last year. Yeah, like I agree. Here, right? Sam Burt was, you know, gone for most of the year. Eddie Wilson was banged up for most of the year. They could not have done that. And I think also, you know, you kind of want to knock on wood, right? You don't want anyone to get hurt, right? And any yep. either team. 
But Katie's been pretty healthy on the defensive line so far this year, right? Lonnie Phillips got banged up a little bit there in weeks two and three, but he's been able to play a lot. But outside of that, you know, everyone's kind of been out there and able to play, and there's not a huge drop-off. And I think particularly you look at the defensive tackles room, boy, oh, boy, I mean, they're going three deep, right? You've got yeah. redshirt freshmen coming in, and Tommy Dunn and DJ Weathers getting kind of 10 snaps a game, and they're not getting pushed around. And I think that's huge long-term, but I think in the short term, you're right. This is something that Key's going to use to his advantage, when they go up against tempo teams, they are going to sub and use that as their way to counteract the pace of play that the other team wants to have. And I thought it really put TCU out of rhythm. I thought Max Duggan, I think he's the best quarterback he's gone up against this year. I think you sure. saw that in the second half, Absolutely. just how, how stinking good he is. But he was out of rhythm, and there wasn't a rhythm in that TCU offense, right? You look at the – I'll pull out the drive chart again. Um, <laughs> right, so they go field goal. Every show. Basically, because I think it's fascinating the way the games yeah. go with KU, right? Because I'll write about this at some point in time, but KU's been so good in the second and third quarters of these games, right? You go back to the start of the season, West Virginia, Houston, um, even Duke to some degree. The second and third quarters are where KU really made some hay and was able to kind of take advantage and create it to where in the fourth quarter, there's not a ton of pressure on them. And you look at this game where it's a field goal to start off, right, in terms of KU's defense, right? Field goal, then it's a turnover on downs, then it's a punt, then it's another punt. And then finally, TCU gets in the end zone before their final drive of the half was ended in an interception. Yeah. Like, and you're looking at those drives. It, one of them was a three and out, but – you know, TC was able to get a first down or two, but then KU's defense would buckle down and get a feel for things and be able to slow the pace. And so I think for me in the first half, you're looking at a defense saying, going into the game, if you said, hey, KU's defense is going to hold the TCU offense that is one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country to 10 points, do you feel good about your chances of winning? Your answer would be yes. And at halftime, mm -hmm. you're thinking, wow, defensively, KU's in this game. We'll have to talk about Jalen Daniels and, and the impact of that in a second. But just overall defensively, I thought in the first half, it was really, really strong and really impressive. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, I have to I, – I have to – I get to write about things from a norm, more national perspective a lot of times. And one of the things that, um, that I did today was I transcribed uh, Dabo Sweeney from, from Clemson about wow. their win over Boston College. And one of the things that he had said was, you know, they beat Wake Forest a couple weeks ago in, in an absolute shootout, and the defense was pretty much non-existent in that game. It was one of those who – he who has the ball last will win. And Clemson won that game, and they beat Boston College and allowed three points against Boston College, and the defense was terrific, and the offense wasn't quite there. And coaches talk a lot about being able to win games in multiple ways. And I think you've seen that with Kansas this year. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've seen the the West Virginia game, the, the Houston game, where it's a little bit more of a shootout. Houston, the defense did make some big plays. Obviously, West Virginia, the defense slams the door shut to, to end it. But And then the Iowa State game that we talked about, the defense was terrific. And the offense kind of struggled. And I think one of the things heading into the TCU game, a lot of people seem to feel like TCU was a significantly better team than Kansas when you look at projections and, and scores and things like that. And I felt like a big part of that was because of the game immediately proceeding. They, looked, sure. at, they looked at the Kansas game against Iowa State, 14-11, and they said, this is who Kansas is. And they looked at TCU's, 
55 to 24 win over Oklahoma. And they said, this is who TCU is. And so, you know, that first half, if you were looking at it as, okay, is, is this Kansas team with an improving defense, you know, maybe the offense isn't what we thought it was earlier. You know, is that who Kansas actually is? If you watched that first half, you would have said, yes, Uh, I think you would have said, okay, the, the defense is playing better. The offense, you know, isn't playing as clean as it needs to. Maybe it's the step up in competition, maybe whatever. But the offense hasn't been playing to the level that a lot of people thought. But from the from the defensive side of things, uh, I think it was another sort of nod in the in the hey, this this group is getting better, and they're. You talked about the depth, and you know the the young freshmen getting reps and, and all of those things. They aren't bad reps. I mean, you you talked about them not getting pushed around. I'll I'll take it a step further and say there are times when DJ Withers or Tommy Dunn are in the game and they put up a highlight rep where they, you know, take somebody, they push them back, they throw them to the side, whatever. And so I I did think, you know, Kansas's game plan defensively really played out well in that first half. And it's why we talk on this show a lot about explosive plays, right? Because if you can make somebody have to execute over and over and over and over again, even when they're moving the ball well, if you're not allowing them to get 20 plus yard chunks or or get, you know, the 50 yard touchdowns, it's hard to do that over and over again. And on that very first drive, you saw that TCU moved the ball really easily to a point and then kind of didn't execute, got stacked up and whatever else. And I think that that's where Kansas can kind of make its living even going forward defensively. Yeah, sure. is if you can limit those explosive plays and say, hey, okay, Oklahoma, you may score a touchdown on us, but it's going to take you 12 or 14 plays and you're going to have to be really patient and execute to get there. I, I think that's kind of this defense's way forward. It is. And I think it's a good way to, again, you know, he's five and one. Yep. They've been really well coached. Key is yep. not as talented as TCU. There is still a, a pretty significant talent gap here. And it's a credit to, I think, the coaches. And I think it's also a credit to the players for being disciplined and executing because the coaches are smart enough to draw up a game plan. And these players, even if they can't run the same 40 time as the TCU players or they can't have the same athletic testing numbers as the TCU players can, they can go out there and execute. I think that's what this team has done so far this year is they've all done their jobs. And it's not been the case of you see players on defense in particular having to go play hero ball. Like Kenny Logan last year, sometimes you look at him and you're like, man, you're taking care of someone else's job right now. Yeah. Someone else missed a tackle and you're having to go take care of that. Now I mentioned missed tackles and that was a bit of an issue on Saturday. I'd say probably Katie's worst game in terms of missed tackles this season, I would even say. I don't think there was a game where Katie's missed that many significant tackles that resulted in big plays. And I just think overall defensively, I thought Lance Leipold said it best. You know, 38 points, you, you look at the scoreboard and you think that's a bad defensive game. I thought the defense played played well and they slowed a TCU offense that has been incredibly explosive and will put up points this year. And, and they made TCU work for it. There were times where K missed an assignment and TC made them pay for it. But down to down, I think you felt pretty good about it. Now, offensively, well, let's change some gears here <laughs> because I I don't know. 
I really didn't know what to make of the first half with Jalen Daniels and the way things were going because it felt like a remix of the Iowa State game. I thought TCU had a really good game plan. I think the team speed that TCU had gave KU some fits at times, especially in the run game, right? KU really wasn't able to run the ball super well, you know, consistently at least, right? There were some explosive runs that KU have, but not the consistency that we saw maybe early in the season. And I talked a lot going into the game. Hey, third down is going to be a, a crucial down. Is KU going to face third and longs, or are they going to face third and shorts like they did early in the season? It was third and longs early in the game, and I think that for me is where you look at this offense and say it does not have the talent to overcome third and longs all day. Jalen Daniels cannot convert third and longs all day. No quarterback can, right? Unless sure. you have the sweet wide receivers on the outside. Like if Jalen Daniels had Quentin Johnson, you'd feel pretty okay about him converting on third downs. But And that's nothing against what KU has. It's just a different level of player. Sure. For right now, you look at third and long and say, man, that is really tough to do on a consistent basis. And I think early in the game, KU didn't have as much success on first and second down, which really limited what I think they could do on third down. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Yeah, and I thought TCU had really a magnificent first half from an individual tackling standpoint. It oh, seemed like God. there were several times we, we were talking about the Kansas tackling and it, it's a step forward for Kansas that a guy is in the right spot, right? Because traditionally in the past, a lot of times a guy was not in the right spot against TCU. Kansas had a guy in the right spot, but that guy didn't always make the tackle when he was out there mm. by himself, you know, making a one-on-one -on -one play in space. Now, Kansas's offense got some of those one-on-one -on -one plays in space, and a TCU guy would come in and would take out Daniel's legs, or he would knock down Devin Neal, or, you know, they would make that one-on-one -on -one play in space that kept Kansas in second eight, you know, third and six, as opposed to, you know, something that's a lot shorter. Kansas in third and two is not fun to defend because no. you have access to Kansas's entire playbook. And you saw some of that 
when Kansas started getting a little more ahead of the chains. But when Kansas gets behind the chains, and I thought TCU's strategy was really interesting because in the option stuff, they didn't always rally to the pitch, but they always had somebody on Jalen Daniels. They basically were saying, you know what, like it may be two and one, we're going to chop down Jalen. And if he makes the pitch, you know, that guy may have a big play. And I think it took Kansas a little bit to adjust that because there were a couple times where Jalen held on to the ball when, if he had pitched, I think there would have been a significantly bigger play there. And in fairness to Jalen, you know, he probably looked at it as it's me one-on-one with the defender. This is a play I've made all year, but TCU did a great job of of making that tackle, uh, of making that play and making it to where he couldn't break out. And so I did think once you started to get into it a little more, you did see Jalen starting to make the pitch a little bit more in the second quarter and Kansas started to move the ball and and you did see, see some of those things and you did see them being able to attack some of the run fits by throwing that little pop pass over the top to, to Mason Fairchild. What a catch by the way, to be looking over this shoulder and then it comes in on the other side, but they were able to take advantage of some of that a little bit later. And I think, and I'm sure we'll talk Jason Bean here in a little bit, but I think Jalen Daniels probably would have had a big second half had he played in the second half, because I think they were finding some of those openings in the second quarter. It was starting to open up. And then Jason Bean came out and kind of exploited those. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think we got to talk about fumbles because this is, oh, gosh. Huge issue. this is a huge issue. It, yeah. It's terrible. They're averaging two fumbles a game. Like, They've gotten lucky too in terms of the, the fumbles retained. Yeah. I think they've only lost five of the eleven this year. But I wrote about it in my post game observations. I mean, you look at the fumbles; they could not have come at worse times, right? Yeah. You look at, you know, the the first one comes with that little handoff to Kai Thomas, and obviously they run it in practice. But game scenarios are different, and I don't think KU's done a bunch of the option stuff with Kai Thomas in the game this year, just because he's not really played much, right? Yeah. Didn't play a ton against West Virginia, then kind of got banged up against Houston, Duke, and Iowa State, and then was finally back this week. And there's kind of just a mishandling, miscommunication. And then all of a sudden, you were in a third and short there, but then it becomes a fourth and short, and you're kind of hesitant because you just had a fumble, and it's hard not to be hesitant after you almost lose the ball. And so they turn the ball over on downs. Well, then the next drive, that's when the Fairchild catch came. And yeah. If you want to read more about that, Nathan Swaffer will have a story on it Monday morning. But that was just a great catch, first of all. But then you get down to the goal line, and then Jalen Daniels fumbles it. And you're just thinking, that's just like a back-breaking play in terms of momentum, too, because it was 3-0 then. And then all of a sudden, TC goes down and scores a touchdown on a 99-yard drop. And that, that just in terms of momentum in the game felt so big. And fumbles, even going into the second half, you look at it, right? There's the pitch from Jason Bean. I believe it was Kai Thomas that was a little bit off. Um, Devin Neal put the ball on the ground later in the game, too, I want to say. So, I mean, just overall, you're looking at ball security. Like, this is such a well-coached team that it's so weird to see the ball come out so often as it has because they don't make many mistakes offensively. But this is kind of the one thing where you look at and say, man, they really do make a lot of mistakes. But I think overall, offensively, you know, Going into half, right, right before Daniels got tackled and hurt his shoulder, you know, you're thinking, okay, you know, it'll be 10 to three at the half. 
and you'll feel all right about that. Because, right, you got the ball to start the second half, right? You can tie it up theoretically and go from there. But then, of course, the injury happens. And I think – what was your perspective when the injury happened? And what did you think? Because I'll go into it after because maybe I have a different perspective on it. Sure. I And on the Jalen fumble, I, I think the disappointing thing – was it was just a bad decision, right? Because you, you can say what you want about this guy knocks the ball up or you didn't cover it up well enough. Jalen leapt for, leapt for the end zone, and you see guys fumble in that situation more often than in other situations because you're making yourself vulnerable. But it was second down. Like if you're if it's fourth down, you're going for it, it makes sense to leave it all out like that. But on second down – you've still got two more downs, you know, you, he had already gotten, you know, a yard or two. It would have been at worst, I think probably if he had just, you know, tightened it up and and went into the line at worst, it would have been say third and goal from the two, you know, probably even from the one. And and so to make that decision at that point, when you could have just said, Hey, they got us that play, you know, they, they made it to where we couldn't get through. They had the wall up, that's fine. Let's, you know, let's dust off our pads and, and get it on one of these next two plays and to get stopped there. And then, you know, talking about the explosive plays, TCU gets some explosive plays going the other way. Oh, first play and, and it, and it, and it a hundred percent changed the way you felt about that game. Mm-hmm. And then Kansas drives back down. Like you said, you, you kind of feel like, okay, just, just get some points here. Even if it's just a field goal, you do get the ball to start the second half. And when when Jalen went down, I think, first of all, I I was on the opposite side. So I was on the student side. And so, you know, looking over, there wasn't really an announcement made, you know, saying that it was Jalen Daniels. And so people were trying to figure out they called timeout for an injured player, but they didn't really say who it was. And so we were trying to tell is that is that Jalen Jalen took took a tough hit and everything. Um, and, and then that was the last time you saw him for the half. That was the last time you saw the offense really for the half. And mm-hmm. so you were thinking sort of all through halftime. And I can tell you our entire section was discussing, you know, what what happens if, if Jalen can't go. And, and obviously you knew Jason Bean would be the quarterback, but just sort of big picture, what, what happens if, if Jalen can't go? Sure enough, you know, it, it you look out when the players come back out, you look at the quarterbacks playing catch. Jalen isn't one of them. I think that that's kind of when we figured, okay, it's, you know, it's not going to be Jalen at this point. It's going to be Jason Bean. And and so, you know, the, one of the good things about it is, is they can run a lot of the same stuff on offense, just a little bit different, some tweaks here and there. Um, I I know we're going to talk a little bit later about, you know, strengths that, that maybe Kansas could use with Jason being moving forward. But at the same time, you know, at the time it was kind of like, well, gosh, here, here Kansas is with the chance to tie, you know, Jason beans coming in at halftime. What can he do? And mm-hmm. truth is he, he did quite a lot, Michael. Yeah, he did. And so, I mean, from my perspective in the press box, right, you see him kind of rolling to his right. He's coming towards us. And then he gets hit from behind, and you're like, ooh, that did not look good, right? Anytime a big defensive lineman lands on the quarterback and lands like kind of on top of him, you're like, oh, no. And you saw him get up, and like he's kind of got the shoulder, and you're like, oh, that's not good. 
because it was a throwing shoulder that's like down and he's not really moving it a lot. And you're kind of like, Oh no. And so I obviously have to like get a story up and everything, but my mind immediately went to what Lance Leipold said during fall camp where he, Jim Zabrowski, the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, Andy Koldenecki all basically said, Hey, you know, Jalen Daniels is our starter, but if there's a guy who's playing the best football of his career right now, it's Jason Bean. Yeah. And I thought about that. And I'm like, this is going to be a very interesting half of football sure. because I think we're going to learn a lot about <laughs> how locked in Jason Bean has stayed because you can be playing the best football of your career in August. We're now in October and yeah. he has not played that much, right? He's gotten some snaps on offense as kind of a gadget player, but he's not the quarterback. And Jason Bean deserves a lot of credit because he clearly was prepared and clearly was ready for when his number is called. And, you know, depth is something we've talked about at every position, but quarterback during the season, because it ha- we haven't had to. In the preseason, you and I talked about how deep the quarterback room is, but yep. we're in the season now. And Jason Bean deserves a lot of credit. You know, the players afterwards talked about how kind of, KU kind of scrapped their game plan for the most part at halftime when they knew Jason Bean was going to be the guy. And they basically said, all right, let's go run some outside zone and see how it works. And it works pretty darn well. And I think what Jason Bean does that helped KU in this game is he's just different. They're both dual threat quarterbacks, but Jalen's more, I feel of like a shifty guy, better chance to maybe run you over. Jason Bean just has elite speed. He can't go side to side. Right. He there's there's no lateral agility with him, right? It's straight line and you gotta go. But for a TCU defense that spent the whole first half ready for a shifty guy to all of a sudden have kind of a it's like baseball, right? You've got kind of your off speed pitcher, right? Guy that throws junk, yeah. and then all of a sudden you got like a fastball guy throwing heat. And that's what Jason Bean was with his running style. And I think you saw that give TCU some fits. I think there was some indecision with Bean, whether it be the pull it and run or, or throw the pass. I, you know, there were times where guys were open and wide open and he seemed a little hesitant to make the throw, but no bad words to say about Jason Bean. That was a gutsy performance. Some of those throws he made too. Like, I don't think you saw him make th- those throws last year. Yeah. Right. Both ones to Quentin Skinner were incredible, like moon shots that kind of just dropped in. Yeah. Right? He had some times where he threw it on a rope, right? There's another out route to Quentin Skinner. And I just thought overall, man, like you just feel good about Jason Bean being your quarterback in, in that game and the way that game was trending. You know, obviously you want Jalen Daniels out there, but I think once you saw Bean kind of lead the offense on that first drive, you thought, okay, they might be all right. And they, they were for the most part. Well, and I thought, you know, TCU kind of seemed to play Bean to run early. Mm-hmm. And it was very smart in that Kansas didn't really have him run early. You know, they they had him throwing. They had, you know, the sort of play fake where he steps, you know, forward like he's going to go and, and dumps it over. And, and they did, you know, they did sort of some fun stuff with him, and I thought, and, and he, he made sure to pitch the ball a few times. But if TCU looked at him and said, hey, this is a running quarterback, we got to watch out for a running quarterback, what he showed them was beyond, I think, what TCU was anticipating for him. And then later in the game, you saw him, you know, kind of have some openings and really open up that high level speed Mm. um, and, and, you know, showcase that. And and I thought he threw the ball really well. You made a great point, though, in that coaches are always telling their backups, you're one play away 
from being in. Keep your head in the playbook. Make the most out of your reps. Take what they call mental reps, which is when the other guy is in, you know, think about yourself and what you would be doing in these situations. And not everybody does that. You know, it's very easy for a backup to say, well, the guy in front of me is a Heisman Trophy candidate right now. You know, what, what would I need to do it? Jason Bean obviously stayed well prepared and obviously stayed into it. And, and I'm not, not knocking another team for this because I don't specifically know their situation, but having depth at quarterback with Bean, look at what's happened to Oklahoma the last couple weeks with Dylan Gabriel out and the drop off that you've seen there. Kansas, obviously very fortunate to have a guy who has so much starting experience in Bean, but also a guy that, like I said, like that he approached being in that spot the right way to where, hey, when his number was called, he he was ready to go do it. Through for what, 260-ish yards? What was the exact number? It was, yeah, 262. So 16 of 24 for yep. 262. And a half. Yeah, and in that's the half. thing about it. You would love this stat line from Jason Bean if it was for a full game. The yes, fact that it's for a absolutely. Half, for a half. Yep. Like that's what makes it so incredible and so fun to watch. Where I think you're seeing national people on, on social media be like, What? KU stockpiling quarterbacks. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, kind of. You know, it, it was just so impressive. And yeah, I'll let you keep going. But yeah, th- those no, are the numbers. Impressive. No. And you remember last year against Coastal Carolina, that was a game that was a weeknight game. And a lot of people, a lot of national people were watching it because it was the game on. And Jason Bean started that game and he broke several long runs and people were like, who the heck is this Kansas quarterback that is out here, you know, running four, four and running away from people. And so Bean himself has had buzz at, at different points. He was the guy that played quarterback that, that almost led KU to a win over Oklahoma. And so to be able to have that guy, you know, sort of in your bag and be able to use him, not just creatively the way that KU has done sort of over the course of the season so far, but also have him there, you know, as a break glass in case of emergency guy, like they had to do. Uh, There's so much value in that. And, you know, like you were saying, you really can't, you you really can't talk enough about Jason Bean's performance because coming in, in that situation, undefeated team college game days there you're down three points your offense hasn't been performing and to go out and throw four touchdowns throw for 262 yards and have the half that he had there's really no there's really nothing you could say about it that would be you know too nice to say it was an unbelievable performance it was it was and we'll talk more about him in a second um offensively, I thought in the first half, Key's wide receivers could not get open. TC yep. plays man coverage, and we knew that going into the game, and they just couldn't get open. And then I felt like in the second half, as soon as some of those guys on the outside, some of those cornerbacks had to worry about Jason Bean breaking the pocket, getting to the outside, I felt like at that point the guys were able to get open. And I think the one thing that maybe concerns me going forward is you look at the touchdown catches – and obviously everything was reviewed. Like, what in the world? You know, <laughs> it's great for me because I write during the game. So, like, it let that, me that, that third quarter long. felt like it was four hours long. I can tell you that much. Well, I was so pumped at halftime because that the first half took an hour and twenty minutes, and I'm like, yep. this was great. 
this is gonna be a three-hour game. We, you know, be able to get a lot of riding down post game, and then yeah, the, the second half have worth all those reviews. But I, the thing that concerns me is it was a lot of bang bang plays, like of like very precise down to the millisecond plays. And I think both of those Quentin Skinner touchdowns are examples of that. Where I just wonder, can you recreate that week after week after week? And of course. Different opponents create different game plans, different situations. Maybe Key's not in those situations a lot against Oklahoma or Baylor before the bye week. But I think that's the one thing that maybe does concern me just a little bit is those were big hitter plays, obviously. But it wasn't like I don't feel like KU's offense down to down with Jason Bean in there maybe wasn't as consistent as I would have maybe have liked. And maybe I'm nitpicking here too. I, I don't know. But I think that just big picture, I think that's the one thing that maybe concerns me is just the – it was a little big play reliant in the second half and they were able to execute, but I just wonder, can you do that week over week? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. The The plays you're talking about were inch perfect. I mean, yeah. they, they really were. And, and even, you know, some TCU fans would probably say the, the touchdown where Quentin Skinner's, you know, knee was either in or out was, was maybe not inch perfect, but, but either way, like it, it was, it, it was that close. And, and you even look mm-hmm. at the touchdown throw to Luke Grimm, you know, Grimm was wide open. I mean, the defenders picked each other off and he still, you know, kind of had to get both toes in and, and lay out to, to catch what mm-hmm. should have been, you know, among the easier touchdown plays of the game. And, and so I do get where you're coming from. One of the things that did encourage me though, was you had, plays from so many different guys true you know Quentin Skinner was able to get over the top for some huge plays I I really liked um, Skinner talked in the post game about how um, sort of the the over route that he ran how that got open because LJ Arnold ran a perfect curl and and so I I, you know it was it was kind of interesting to hear him talk about well the reason I was open was actually my teammate you know ran a perfect route and that freed me up LJ made some really nice contested catches. Luke Grimm had a fantastic game, I thought. Uh, Great. And then Tanaka Scott well, finally got into that guy. I mean, finally. he breaks the tackle and, and starts running. And I, I think, you know, he was even shocked by, oh, my gosh, I, I'm in the clear. I got I to gotta start going now. But it, you had catches from, from the different tight ends. You know, it was – there were a lot of different guys involved and that part to me feels replicable, right? Like yeah, I, I feel sure. like, I feel like if you would have had say Quentin Skinner and, and this isn't a knock on him, but if you would have had him have a Quentin Johnston type performance, you would say maybe, okay, you're not going to get, you know, 10 catches for 200 some yards mm-hmm. from Quentin Skinner on a weekend week out basis. But I think the part of it that is, that does work and and that makes Kansas, you know, sort of able to work without what we would call an S tier wide receiver is the fact that, Hey, you may cover every guy on this play except Luke Grimm, but Kansas can hit Luke Grimm. They're comfortable with that. You can cover every guy on this play except the running back out of the backfield, but that's something Kansas is comfortable using. Hmm. You know, you can defend the option game and Kansas can get Mason Fairchild on a pop pass or they can hit LJ Arnold on third down or get Quentin Skinner over the top. And I think that's the one part to me that when you project that offense forward, 
you really say, okay, this this part makes it to where Kansas can score on good defenses, can move the ball on good defenses, the fact they can use so many other guys. Also, I think the other thing that, that needs to be mentioned and maybe doesn't get mentioned enough, Kansas's offensive line is having a whale of a season. This is This is maybe the best season by a Kansas offensive line Looking back to what, 2007 maybe? I know the 2006 offensive line was a really good run-blocking line, but you know 2007 overall, and I'm not saying they're better than 2007, but I'm saying that's the last season I can remember looking at the offensive line and having these kinds of results. And, and I really think that group deserves so much credit, and, and they don't always get the credit. But you know when you look at, at Jason Bean and, and – his comfort level, I thought, and you you made the point of of there being some indecision. I thought there were a couple times he was allowed to have some indecision. Yeah, and true. sit back there because they kept his jersey clean, and so he's like, "Do I really want to throw this? Well, maybe. Do I want to throw it? Okay, I'll go ahead and throw it mm-hmm. because he had time to to think about it because of that offensive line. Yeah, those guys have been great, and Mike Nowitzki got a penalty for the first time. Yeah. Ever, I need to look that up. I heard someone talking about it after the game that maybe that was his first penalty ever, um, at, at least at KU. I, again, I have to go look back, but offensive line was great. I think for me, like one more concern, and I'll be I'll stop being a negative Nancy. Um, <laughs> you know, the cornerbacks. I still think that it's yeah. you know we did we talked about going into the season right. Kobe Bryant, big play guy. He's going to get you an interception, right? But I just. I just worry about some of the other sweet wide receivers that there are in this league. And if KU is going to be able to handle them, obviously Quentin Johnson is going to be a first round pick. It looks like it. Like from what I was reading before the week is everyone's saying, Oh, this guy was projected to be a first round pick when he came to college projected, projected, projected. What you saw right there is what a projected first round pick (laughs) looked like. He is good. And so, you know, Kansas State does not have the same wide receivers. Texas Tech does not have the same wide receivers. But when Q goes up against Texas and it's Xavier Worthy, yeah, like I worry about that. And Marvin again, Mims, or yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah different like, guys kind of throughout the conference. Yeah, yeah, and I'm again, I'm nitpicking, so I'll stop. But that's just kind of my one concern. But big picture, um, I thought I learned a lot about Kansas on Saturday. I think this is a team that is going to win another game this year. I'm not worried about that. TCU is going to go play in Arlington. I feel pretty confident saying that, right? I think Texas and TCU right now, I think, are the two teams I would pick, right? Quinn Ewers is going to be a really great quarterback. And, you know, as we saw with Jalen Daniels, a rising tide lifts all boats. And when that rising tide is lifting up some really sweet jet skis and some cool speedboats, it's a little bit different, right? So for KU to go head-to-head with this TCU team, and battle it out to the last drive without their star quarterback um, with some weird turnovers and penalties and fumbles and KU not playing the perfect game, right? We keep talking about this week over week. KU still has not played a perfect fourth quarter game, and yet they're 5-1 and one and just went toe-to-toe with the team that I think, again, I think me, Michael Swain, thinks is going to go play in Arlington in December. So I think this KU team is going to win another game. Um, I don't know when. Uh, I would guess probably Oklahoma, Texas Tech, or Kansas State. But I think what this league has shown you, anyone can lose any given Saturday. Oh, cliche. But, yeah, anyone can lose any given Saturday. And I think that for me, 
you look at this KU team, they're going to be able to be in these games. And we talk about coin flip moments a lot. And some of those coin flip moments didn't go KU's way on Saturday. And they will go KU's way before the end of the season. I think you made me pick right now. I'd say, I'd say six and six or seven and five. But I guess what's your kind of long-term outlook on the season before we get into the questions? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I really don't have – a doubt at this point. I don't think that Kansas is going to win another game, and and maybe maybe I'll be wrong on that. I I was certainly you know I didn't have Kansas at you know five and one after six games. I didn't think TCU was going to be this this good. Although I did think TCU was kind of that really weird mystery team that you just mm-hmm. didn't really know. And, and you know Jeremy Clark at our TCU site is so terrific, and he's tied in over there and. I talked to Jeremy this offseason about what to expect, and and he was like, I don't know, man. So I mean, it not it wasn't like TCU was was an obvious pick before the season to to be what they have been. But I think one of the things that was really encouraging, and, and Lance Leipold has done so many great things, and, and we've talked about a lot of them on the show. I think maybe the best thing that he's done, Michael, is his whole, we are not in the moral victory business. And when you look at what he said after that game, it wasn't, well, golly gee, you know, we were close, blah, blah. It was, I told the players, our margin for error is this thin. And Mm -hmm. we weren't clean. We committed too many mistakes. We had penalties. We had turnovers in bad spots. We had defensive busts at times when we couldn't have them. And, and he said, and, you know, it's all right that our margin for error is thin. It's just that we need to be that much cleaner, that much crisper, that much more perfect. And I really appreciated that because I think a lot of the people leaving the stadium, I'm not saying they didn't believe TCU was the better team, but I think they felt like Kansas should have won that game, mm-hmm. that game on that Saturday. If Kansas had cleaned up stuff, not giving away the ball, not missing a field goal, something that we didn't didn't mention, you know, kind of in a, oh, in a key on and, and everything. And so I think that's one of the great things that Leipold has brought. And you could probably speak to this even better than I could. The thing that I don't know that a lot of people realize is his whole 1% better every, every day thing also comes after wins. For when sure. Kansas beat Houston – which was a game most people thought Kansas would lose. It was a game that Kansas won by double digits on the road. That following Sunday, I guarantee you, Lance Leipold was talking to players in film saying, okay, it's great that you won this game. You should be proud of it. Here's where you made mistakes that we can't make again. And that's why Kansas continues to get better is the fact that it's not just lip service. It's not something that he just says – you know, every coach wants to own Nick Saban's the process, but not every coach does it. And yeah. not every coach actually focuses on it's not about the opponent. It's about us. It's about what we do. And if we do everything right, then everything else will take care of itself. And I think that that was one of the most encouraging things to me, projecting Kansas on down the line for the next half season. Because can you believe it? We're through half a season now. Um, sad. Yeah. Projecting Kansas through the 
the last half of the season, you feel like Kansas is going to continue to improve because you feel like Lance Leipold and that staff won't allow them to not improve. They won't allow them to go home after Saturday night's game and say, gosh, getting hugs from family. Gosh, we were really close. You know, that, that was a nice game. No, he's saying to him, you know, be proud of your effort, but we got to clean this stuff up. If we're mm-hmm. going to beat TCU in a similar game in, in the future, if we're going to win our next game, if we're going to win the game after that. And I think that stuff compounds and, and it's a big part of the reason why Kansas is where it is right now. Well, Kevin, uh, you, you've clearly been reading what I've uh, written the last 24 <laughs> hours. That's basically the crux of both of the stories that I've I posted where, yeah, it is that, you know, talk to Paul Christ about being just close, so close to winning yeah. games, right? Doesn't pay the bills. They'll still fire you. Lance Leibold's not going to get fired, but, you know, it's a results business. And I think that's what Lance Leibold understands. I think winning several D3 national championships will also put that in you of after wins, you still have to improve. And I think overall, you look at this Kansas team, there's a lot to improve, right? The kicking game. You know, you mentioned Jacob Borchill of missed field goal. There's the kickoffs. Or Lance Leibold oh, said afterwards. Uh, All right, Kevin, I, can't I, got believe, I can't believe it got – it took us until almost 54 minutes to bring <sighs> up the kickoff. Because those those were some game changing mistakes and, and oh, just huge, just humongous. So much, and I like. I'm happy I asked Lance about it afterwards because I was curious. I'm like, is the kicker hurt? Like, did he pull a hamstring like early in the game? Like, what's going on? And Lance says it was a strategic decision where they just didn't want to kick it to their kick returner, who I guess is like a defensive end that's incredible. Like, I didn't know that going into the game. I probably should have done my research better for the kick return for TCU, but (laughs) I guess they wanted to avoid him because they thought he was a tank. And in the end, they gave TCU some pretty good field position, which, again, Lance Apple talked about margins. K does a lot to widen its margin, right? Being successful on first and second down widens your margin. Forcing teams to take the long way to score a touchdown widens your margin. What shrinks your margin is setting TCU up past its 30 on four drives in the second half like that is not great so i think overall there's stuff to improve and again keep saying it we're six weeks into the season kansas has not played a complete game yet they're five and one and they'll have a chance to win multiple more games this year i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So let's get into questions now. Sure. Um, we're talking about this a little before we got on air. I maybe have a different opinion than most on this, but what do you think of the officiating, Kevin? You know, it, it's funny because this was this was obviously a major fan topic being in, in the stands. And, and I did think 
you know, there were a significant number of missed calls and, and missed calls on key plays in, in key situations. And I'm not sure a lot of people could look at those final two plays and say that there shouldn't have been a horse collar. There shouldn't have been, uh, there should have been a, uh, a holding call, a, mm-hmm. a defensive holding call on that final play. I'm just also a person who doesn't ever believe that an official costs you a game. Yeah. Even if it's on the very last play, you know, you're driving to the basket, you get knocked down and it doesn't get called where you would have had a chance to make free throws for the win. There are 20 other things you could do over the course of a game and, and sometimes in a football game, even more to win it. And so I, and so that's a really long way to say, I did think the officiating was poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think some of those major calls went against Kansas and a couple of them did on a final drive that was absolutely huge. That doesn't change the fact that Kansas had Devin Neal wide open out of the backfield on second down. Mm. Where if you if oh, you right. put that ball where it should be, and again, Jason Bean was terrific, but you put that ball where it should be, that third and fourth down don't happen. Devin Neal might have gotten the end zone on that play. And, and so to me, yes, the officiating was bad. Yes, it hurt on those two plays. There were so many other plays, fumbles, the kickoffs, missed field goals, the the pass to Devin Neal on that final drive just before that. So many different things that I feel like Kansas was in control of itself mm-hmm. and didn't execute that would have led to a win. Yeah, and I think for me, I, you know, I just look at – I didn't – so Lance said after the game, right, if you have five times the amount of penalties as your opponent – Right, it's really hard to overcome. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, you had 10 penalties, like they had 15 penalties. Cause I just didn't really put two and two together that TCU just didn't have any penalties called against them. And I yes, you are right. Those last two plays were flags and they should have been flagged, especially the yep. last holding. Yeah, it's the, the holding like, was blatant. Yeah, and right bad. in front of the official. Yeah. Yeah, and like I get the whole like swallow your whistle thing, but it's football. Like you can't just go tackle someone randomly and have it not count. And you know, he didn't get tackled, but that was egregious for me. The horse collar one was worse because that's really endangering the safety of someone, right? You've seen Daniel Hyshaw go out and Jalen Daniels go out because of hits that were clean. But I think you could argue at least with Daniel Hyshaw, maybe the whistle should have been blown a little bit before. Um, So I think for me, like, I'm not, I, I don't know if you can blame the officiating for the loss. Like, K, you shouldn't have fumbled on the goal line. Jason yeah. shouldn't have thrown it to the linebacker 10 yards in front of him. You know, there, there are plays in the game that you lost the game for. Um, the officials just happened to miss a bad call or two at the end. Um, I thought during the game, the flags KU got called for, the two holdings, the offs, or the, yeah, the offsides for Lonnie Phelps, I thought those were fine calls. They were accurate. Um, it's just the, it, it's a, bummer and i think it maybe impacts the fans perspective and fan discourse that those flags came at such crucial moments at the end of the game or then it leaves kind of that sour taste in your mouth sure sure yeah and and i thought i thought both ways the officials swallowed their whistle you know i thought that i thought that they they let them play and the one thing you want to see from officials whether it's basketball football uh especially with an umpire in baseball you want to see consistency, right? Like if it's 
a big strike zone, have it be a big strike zone for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not necessarily ideal, but be consistent. And I thought the officials, while they struggled, I did think that they were relatively consistent. And hey, if they felt like this is a borderline, whatever, they they didn't make a call. They swallowed their whistle all game. And and that was, I think Kansas finished with five penalties. TCU had one. I know TCU had a second that was declined, so it doesn't show up in the stats. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a relatively, you know, a, a game without a lot of calls. And, and so I think that that kind of held up over the course of the whole game, that they just didn't call much of anything on anybody. Yeah, exactly. And K's penalties also were just poorly timed. You know, yeah. the Lonnie Phelps, the Lonnie Phelps offsides for me is just so great. Like, yeah, you just can't. You go up 17 to 10, and all of a sudden you do that on third and eight. Like, just stay on yeah. sides. And that's all I got on that one. All right. Um, I'll do this one really quick. Um, status of Jalen Daniels, Daniel Highshaw Jr., Trevor Wilson. Um, so let's start with Jalen. Um, shoulder injury. I don't think he plays this week against Oklahoma. We'll answer a question on that in a second. Um, it just is too soon. I think, regardless of, of what it ends up being, the severity. Um, I just don't think you'll see him this week. I think it's too fast of a turnaround. I think you've got enough confidence in Jason Bean where you don't feel the need to rush Jalen Daniels out there. Um, Daniel Hyshaw, I don't think you'll see him again. Um, I think that's you, you just got to be cautious with that. You know, Lance Leipold has said that he'll be out an extended period of time. I'd be surprised if he plays again this season. Um, and Trevor Wilson had his case dismissed due to a lack of probable cause. Um, stemming from an aggravated assault with the use of a deadly weapon. I hope I got the wording of that right. Um, before the season, I think he'll be back with the team. I think if you listen to what Lance Leipold said after the game, he let it be known what he thought of the case and how it was handled because he kind of said it was good and it was very kind of off-putting of the investigation. So I would encourage you to go listen to him and what he had to say during the post-game press conference. I thought it was very enlightening. Um, I heard you ask that question, by the way. Oh, that wasn't me. I, I wouldn't. Uh, that was not you. Oh my gosh, I, I've got Swain's voice off. I, I've got no, Swain's voice off. No, I got my first couple to start, and I'm like, I'll. I'll I'm <laughs> uh, I got my kicker question. Then. All right, so I'll, I'll let you answer this, Kevin. I'm curious what you think. Is there any way in which, if Jalen Daniels is done for the 2022 season, any way he gets the season back? He's already got. Um, he's a junior now, so he'd have a senior and super senior season after this year. Do you think there's any chance he gets this year back in addition to that? No, I don't think so. I, I think he's played too much. You know, when you look at the fact that he's played in, you know, five and a half games. So he's he's been on the field in six games. That's half a season. They they don't give you your season back, unfortunately, when you when you play that much. So I, I don't think there's any way. Um one one thing back on the penalties, and I realize oh, yeah. I'm circling back real quick. Um the the Quentin Skinner flag was the one that surprised mm. me to make that call in that situation after the guy makes that kind of catch. That was the only time where I felt like, because I said just a second earlier, they didn't throw flags for much. They mostly kept their flags on their belts. That was the one time where I was like, that's yeah. a flag happy call. Like I, I didn't know about, you know, not without knowing exactly what, whether Quentin Skinner said anything, but looking at the clip and everything, it didn't look like he did, but based on his actions, you know, if I were an official, I probably would have, would have tucked that flag back. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good point. I should have mentioned that. That that, that one was egregious, I, I think. I don't know why you're doing that. Like, <laughs> let, let the guy celebrate. It's a great catch. Um, yeah. All right. The one we've been teasing the whole show. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, Let's settle what, in. Yeah, yeah. So what, what strengths does Jason Bean have against Oklahoma in particular that maybe Jalen Daniels might not have? All of you go first, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. Sure. I, I think, like you said, it, it's interesting because they're both considered dual threat quarterbacks, mm-hmm. but they're so different. It, despite the fact that they're both dual threat quarterbacks, I think, you know, you look at Jalen, I, I don't know if he's going to have an NFL career. It's really hard to pick, you know, NFL quarterbacks. I don't think I would have picked Chase Daniel to still be playing in the NFL at this age, even even as a backup and collecting all that money. But Jalen has an NFL caliber arm. And, and I mm. think that that's something that anybody who's seen him, you know, throw warmups, much less some of the throws that he's made in games, the ball just absolutely jumps out of his hand. And I think that that's something that you miss a little bit. And I realize the question is what strengths does, does Bean have? Not the opposite. Yeah, not, not the opposite. And, and the other thing that Jalen has is I feel like, and this will lead into maybe a strength for Bean. I feel like Kansas, when Jalen Daniels is in, he's so emotional and so demonstrative with his energy that they feed off that. And, and we've seen guys like that, right? Like we've seen like a Devonte Graham in basketball mm. where Devonte makes a couple threes and he's dancing around and Allen Fieldhouse is going nuts and his teammates are all going nuts and he elevates everybody around him. Jalen is very similar. Now where I want to go from that is I believe Lance Leipold described Jason Bean as reserved in the post game when he was asked about, you know, how, how did, how did Jason act about this? And I know most people want their quarterbacks to, to sort of be these fiery leader type guys, but there's something to be said for being steady. And I think mm-hmm. that, I think that Jason Bean is very steady. I think he has a steady personality. I think if you wanted to make the same analogy, he's kind of like Frank Mason in that way. Mason was not demonstrative. If he was down 20, up 20, he had the same stone look on his face. And I think you get something like that with Jason Bean, and you look at the mistake that he made where he threw the pass that got intercepted, threw it right to the guy. He didn't get down on himself or didn't appear to get down on himself. He came back out, same body language, same everything, and and leads Kansas on, on another drive right after that. And so I think that's an advantage that Jason Bean does have that you can that you can enjoy a little bit, the fact that hey, it's it's at Oklahoma. Even if fans have are already not buying into this Oklahoma team, you're still going to draw a massive crowd. It may not be a full house. It may not be whatever. There's going to be a lot of people there. The other team's jerseys still say Oklahoma across the front. And so to have being out there, you know, being sort of steady Eddie, I think there there might be a little bit of an advantage to that. In terms of actual on-the-field strengths or, or skills, I, I think you saw – that he has touch on deep balls that I think, you know, freed up some things against TCU. And I think the other thing is teams don't have to worry as much about Jalen Daniels breaking one, right? Like Mm. if Jalen escapes the pocket, 
you're still worried about your receiver because he can still pepper that guy from across the field. And even if he takes off, not that he can't make a nice game, but he's probably not going 80 yards for a touchdown. Whereas Jason Bean is a guy that if you think he's going to run, he has the speed to break a 60 or an 80 yard touchdown. You know, there are times when he is the fastest guy on the football field. And I think that that's the difference there is, is Jalen's maybe more likely to make a guy miss, maybe more likely to run over somebody. But if you block something perfectly, maybe Jalen gets you 20. And Hmm. if you block everything perfectly, Jason Bean is off to the races and there aren't many people who are going to catch him. I mean, he's, he's got legitimate track speed, one of the fastest guys on the KU team. I know he would say he's the fastest. Um, he's kind of in that discussion, what, with Trevor Wilson, I think. Trevor Wilson, Quentin Skinner, and Craig Young. Yeah, those guys all, you know, if you ask any of them who the fastest guy is, you know, on the team, they'll all raise their hands. So he's at least in that discussion. So I think that's part of it. Um, I, I think, you know, there there are some routes that he throws with touch that – um, maybe Jalen isn't isn't quite you know as good at, but I, I think you know Jalen's probably more decisive. Uh, I think you know when he makes a decision, you know he just he just lets that thing on his arm rip, and, and there's not you know there's not anything holding him back as far as that. Um, Jason Bean, I feel like typically isn't going to put the football at risk that often. I know that he said. I know that he threw the interception against TCU, but generally speaking, if a guy's tightly covered and Jason Bean doesn't feel like, hey, this is an advantageous situation for my guy, he's not going to cut it loose. He's he's going to keep looking. And when you look at, at this Kansas team moving forward, the ability to avoid mistakes, to stay ahead of the chains like you talked about, all of those things I think are things that Bean can do effectively against Oklahoma – and maybe even on down the line, depending on how long Jalen Daniels is out for. Yeah, I think for Oklahoma specifically, I don't think their defensive backs are very good. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I think they kind of suck, honestly. Like, you look at what happened against TCU, right? How many yeah. missed assignments were there for Oklahoma against TCU? Oh, a ton. From what I saw against Texas, how many missed assignments were there from Oklahoma players? Guess who can make you pay for a missed assignment like that? Jason Bean, because like you said, he's going to be one of the fastest players on the field every game that he steps on. And I almost think that the option stuff that KU's installed this offseason, it might even fit him a little bit better just athletically than Jalen Daniels because Jason Bean can put his foot in the ground and boom, he goes zero to 100 really fast. Again, he's not going to juke you or make go side to side, but if he sees a lane, He's going to beat you to it. And again, if you're Oklahoma and you keep missing assignments and there are open lanes, that's an avenue for Jason B to go get you a 15-yard chunk gain, move the chains. All of a sudden, Oklahoma's on the back foot. So I think in terms of this specific matchup, I think Oklahoma's lack of discipline on defense against an option like this could create more possibilities for Jason Bean to get going. And then once Bean gets to good rushes, all of a sudden Oklahoma's going to be focused on him. And then Devin Neal, Sevion Morrison, Kai Thomas, guys like that then can get running and get rolling. So I think for me, like I look at this and say, you know, it's just a different style of quarterback, but you've got to trust in Andy Kolderneki. Now that they have the full offense installed, 
They yep. can now just tweak a couple things and make it fit Jason's play style compared to Jalen Daniels. And so this is a game KU can win, right? I think the early lines are at seven and a half. I think that's a travesty. I think, you know, I think it should be five, six. Yep. You know, if you're going to give me seven and a half, I take KU to cover that because I just don't, I just am not convinced, you know, Dylan Gabriel, who knows, right? Like you said, with the injury for him. And so I just look at this matchup and say, Jason Bean can give KU some speed and athleticism against an Oklahoma defense that in terms of being sound, being gap assigned is not great. They are not Iowa State and they're definitely not even close to where TCU is defensively. So this almost, for me, like in terms of defense, it feels closer to what Houston and West Virginia were than what KU has gone against the last three weeks in terms of the disciplined teams that Duke, Iowa State, and TCU are. Well, and don't forget, Max Duggan ran for over 100 on Oklahoma as as a quarterback who, who has some speed. He broke a touchdown run of over 60 yards in that game. Jason Bean ran for 102 against Coastal Carolina last year. And that was when Kansas didn't have the full option package that we've seen this year. It was kind of a different offense a little bit. And they can still use some of the stuff that they used against Coastal if they want to, and they they feel like it fits him. Hmm. But they're arguably more equipped to take advantage of being speed now than they were in that game. And, and not right. just from that standpoint, but, you know, the running backs, there's more of them. They're more comfortable. There's more home run hitting ability in that group than there was against Coastal last year. The offensive line is so much better now than what it was last year against Coastal Carolina. And Bean still ran for 100 yards. And, and so when you look at, at him maybe being able to take advantage of some matchups, like you said, you know, maybe get a crease against a defense that hasn't been, you know, terrifically assignment sound or, or whatever, you know, I, I really do think that, that Bean is one of those guys that, that can make you pay. And mm. if you play it wrong, it's not that he's going to get 20. He's He could come after the whole thing and he could wind up, you know, breaking it for 40 or 60 or, you know, yeah. or 80 yards. And, and so I do think that that's sort of an advantage. And you talked about, I thought it was a really interesting point. The second half, offense being big play reliant i think that if oklahoma is going to to win this game and and obviously you'll you'll talk with our oklahoma guys you know this week but if oklahoma is going to win this game what it has to do against jason bean if it is jason bean as we expect is they have to make jason bean score on 10 or 12 play drives they have to make him you know, be consistent mm-hmm. over and over because I think that what Bean gives you in a positive way is that ability to strike with a big play in, in different phases of the game. And if Kansas is able to do that the way that it was against TCU, and like you said, TCU is better defensively this year than Oklahoma, then, you know, Kansas has a formula to, to where it can go into Norman and, and come out with its sixth victory of the season. Kevin, let's frame what you just said. Oh my God! And go back, go back like in time. June or July, and sh- and show and show yourself that. And oh, just see. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't believe it at all. I absolutely yeah. would not believe it. Hey, and that's the beauty of this college football season. It's been a lot yep. of fun. These podcasts are always a lot of fun. 
Sure. Um, thank you as always for listening to the fog.net podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and you made it all the way through, leave us a like and subscribe to the channel. Um, also head over to whatever your podcast platform is of choice, subscribe there. So if you're ever on the road, you can always listen to it on a plane. Yeah, you can do it anywhere. Podcasts are cool that way. And if you're listening on the podcast apps, head over to YouTube, check out the fog Kansas basketball and football coverage. And we've got all sorts of exclusive content and including the press conferences we alluded to. You'll see this podcast. You'll see other interviews we do this week with the Oklahoma guys. So really excited about everything coming your way over the next seven days, but Thank you always for listening, and we will talk to you again in the middle of this week. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.